We're throwing off the filters of tradition and culture to discover what the Bible really says about relationships, relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. Welcome to this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Welcome. I'm Julie Sedenko, and today I'm talking with a longtime member of Conquer, Leslie Vernick's private membership group. Carrie was married for 26 years and has been divorced now for about two and a half. She's here to share her story of a destructive marriage, what she's learned, and what you can learn from her experience. Carrie, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all? I know you're a Canada girl, but you were also, like me, a California girl, too. Yes, um, I grew up in Canada when I met my husband. He's an American and he grew up in California. So we moved to California and spent many years enjoying the beautiful weather there. And then after I divorced, I moved back up to Canada with my young son. Tell me about when in your marriage you started to realize this was destructive even maybe you didn't use that term but you knew something's wrong and it's not just your typical marriage problems almost right from the start my husband was very controlling he liked to have total control of the finances he was very complimentaryism in his uh, religious views and I was okay with that. I ended up uh, bending what, over. What does that mean, complementarianism? Because oh. some people may not know. That's a good point. During the 70s and 80s, this new complementarianism started uh, creeping up in the evangelical church. Basically, the idea is that the uh, women and the men are complementary to each other, equal in status, but different in roles. And the role for the husband is as leader of the family. And the role for the wife is uh, to be a helpmate and support the husband. So and, it sounds good, right? From <laughs> yeah, it does sound good. The, the problem comes when uh, you get into a situation where biblical authority is given by God in a way to uh, support and uh, and lift up the followers, right? It's never given by God in a way to crush or to demand your own personal way. Basically, it twists God's word when people use it inappropriately. And biblical authority was never given, or God never gave authority to the man to make him a little God. Exactly, yeah. A lot of spiritual abuse happens that way, that slight twisting of God's word. My husband, he just made the decisions. He uh, chose what we would do, what, how we would spend our money. And I went along with it. I thought I was serving God. I thought I was um, being the better person by uh, giving up my rights and, and all that stuff. And so I could for myself, I was able to, yeah, no problem. I'll just do what he says. The problem came up when we have four kids, three daughters, and then my youngest is a son. Those three daughters, when they got to their teen years, began as teenagers should differentiating from our, like normally in the younger years, children, uh, by what their parents say, hook, line and sinker, right? And as they grow up, they start developing their own views. They take ownership of their values. 
And as soon as they started doing that, my husband was not happy. <laughs> he wouldn't accept that they had their own ideas. Mm -hmm. um, Any time that an idea was presented that was even slightly deviating from his idea, um, it became a, an issue for argument. Arguments that escalated into until people were crying and, and it didn't work. <laughs> well, you said something to me earlier that I think is really important because even though you knew right from the beginning that there was something wrong in your marriage, not your typical marriage problems, you could sense it, but you couldn't quite pinpoint what it was because so he's complementarianism and he he likes authority. Well, God gave him the authority and you're, you're kind of justifying things in a certain way, but it doesn't feel right, but you can't figure it out. So maybe in a different situation, it's like my husband beats me. That's pretty black and white, right? Or my husband's <laughs> sleeping around with 500 people or he's watching porn. That's different. Those are very black and white, evil and good but yours was more confusing and difficult to pinpoint as abuse. Is that correct? Exactly. Um, the thing that always came back was, well, God says you should submit. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I don't want to displease God. I mean, God's important and, and he's very powerful and I don't want to displease him. And so it was very confusing and... Uh, I knew there was a problem, but I just couldn't couldn't put my finger on it. Um, Did you go and seek help from church or counseling? Well, when um, my second oldest daughter was 15, she developed uh, a very life-threatening case of anorexia. And so we immediately went to the church to find out what we should do about it and tried to get her counseling and get us counseling with the church. And essentially what the church said to my very controlling husband was that anorexia at its root is a method that the child uses to control and to exert control on the parents, which <laughs> saying that to my very controlling husband oh, no. resulted in, yeah, uh, he tried to double down on the control of her. She ended up in the hospital, um, ended up almost a year's worth of residential type uh, treatment centers. And uh, he never was able to acknowledge his part in the whole situation. He would blame me or blame her or the other children. It actually caused a, a rift between my two daughters because my husband would blame the older daughter that her relationship with her sister was somehow marred and it was causing her sister to be very ill. And so, yeah, so that uh, it ended up coming to a head with all that going on that I couldn't, I couldn't submit to that for my children. So and in other words, you were willing to put up with all of this when it only impacted you, but when his control started impacting and even your daughter's life was in danger, that's when you kind of said enough is enough. Exactly. But I didn't know how to fix it. I, yeah. I it, it took me many years before I finally was able to 
take a stand and move the rest of my kids who are still, um, there were only two that were still underage at the time. Well, and uh, how do you fix something that you can't even identify, right? The first thing your doctor has to do before he starts treating you is diagnose it. And that's one of the big things that Leslie mm -hmm. is so passionate about in our conquer group is finding clarity and facing the truth. And mm -hmm. I think that was a, a big part of your journey, was it not? Yeah, absolutely. At one point, my ch we were going to counseling with my church. They started off joint counseling, and then they tried to do individual counseling, but the counselors still talked to each other. And uh, finally, per the biblical counseling instructions, they weren't supposed to do like more than 10 sessions, or there was some number of sessions. And they basically said, oh, okay, we know there's a problem. We know that um, you guys aren't talking, you're not communicating well, but we can't help you. So go. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, at that point, I had to find other help. We were longtime supporters of Focus on the Family. They uh, had just interviewed Leslie. She had just written the book, How to Act Right When Your Spouse Acts Wrong. I love the title of that book. And, <laughs> Yes, it is a lovely book for people who are in hard marriages, yes. where the, the problem is communication issues. That in that book, she mentions that if these things that I'm saying aren't helpful, you should uh, probably have a look at my emotionally destructive marriage book. And in that one, oh my goodness, I, it hit my heart that right. I, yeah. Uh, somebody knew what I was going through and she had ideas to help. She had lots of great uh, communication strategies, information gathering uh, type questions that were so helpful. And bottom line was my husband would not admit any um, problems on his side. The, his control was because he needed to control and give me one example of the control. So my daughter who had been out of the house for almost a year, uh, I guess more like uh, eight or nine months. It was her first day back. And my oldest daughter and I were, uh, we had been working on her applications for university. We're a homeschooling family. And so we're working on applications to Berkeley and, uh, getting everything going. My husband went over and had a look at what my daughter was doing and noticed that the email address that I had put in for parents happened to be my email address and not his email address. How dare you? <laughs> not just because I had been the teacher all along and right, my right. email address went on like just about everything, but um, that became an issue where he felt like I had uh, done it on purpose. I was belittling him, leaving him out of the process. And it, it just escalated in, in structure until I was, my main concern was that my daughter who had just come home from treatment for anorexia, not gets stressed out by our argument. And so I just, I was overwhelmed. And so I ran downstairs and grabbed a knife from the kitchen and ran outside 
And I think my thought at the time, I my mental state was self-harm with the knife. But as soon as I got outside, I got a breath, breath of fresh air and I realized that, oh, okay, that was ridiculously dramatic. Set the knife into some dirt so that it wouldn't like get in the way and sat down and called my friend. And so I'm sitting out on the front porch talking to my friend and we're just kind of like, wow, that really escalated quickly. I wonder what happened and, and talking like that. And I heard the deadbolt in the front door slide shut. I realized then, I suspected that he had probably called the police. I didn't find out until years later, but he claimed to the police that I had threatened him and the children with a knife. He told the police that, uh, that I was violent and disturbed, that I was uh, taking medication for mental health, which was not true, and just told them all this stuff. It ended up with me being put on a 5150 hold. Which is? Which is uh, I'm 72 hours in a mental health unit. And uh, at that point, that was the first time that I really realized that my husband, up until that point, I always thought of him as not understanding what would be best, or maybe that I hadn't told him enough what I needed. But at that point, I knew that he didn't have my back. He was not going to be a support to me when I needed him. Because he wasn't, I mean, it, it, you know, if you see someone grabbing a knife and running out the door, calling the police is not a bad thing, but you're mm -hmm. doing it more to protect them. And he wasn't, is that correct? Yeah, his point was to get me in jail. Uh, he wanted me to be harmed. I just knew at that point, and I was so sad and just very yeah, disappointed. Describe, describe your feelings, because I doubt very many people oh. <laughs> have experienced that, and that's got to be an all-time oh. low point. It was devastating. And it wasn't that I was going to this psych unit and all this stuff. That was, by that point, I kind of needed the rest anyway, because my daughter was like, it yeah. had been constant state of anxiety. But the issue was that my husband would throw me to the wolves like that. And um, so that was, was more painful to you than even going to a psych facility. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And uh, so once I got there, the um, the psychiatrist said that I he didn't even see why I was there. Uh, he wanted to let me to, to uh, immediately discharge me. And I said, No, I'm not going back there. And so I ended up staying until like the second day, I think, before uh, the church uh, stepped in had counselors talking to both of us and insisted that we try some more and, and try to keep our marriage working. So it wasn't for another probably two years before I finally opened my eyes enough to see what was going on and got the kids out. Your husband got a diagnosis of correct? autism spectrum disorder. Yes. When during this time did that take place <laughs> he thought it would help him in the divorce so he as soon as i um, moved out with the kids he thought it would help him with the custody dispute 
And so he got, uh, went into San Francisco to um, UCSF and got an official diagnosis. Um, before that, we had, I mean, we knew, um, but we, he never had the official diagnosis until he got into the, um, the way that he told me, he didn't even tell me that he was going for this diagnosis. We were having a discussion about some child care thing, and I don't even remember what the discussion was, but it raised up into an argument as they always did. And uh, he actually told me, I have a genetic condition that I have no control over, and that's what makes me behave this way. What's your excuse? And so he gives people with autism spectrum disorder a bad name. The diagnosis of autism doesn't make you abusive. You can abuse people when you're uh, neurotypical and when you're neurodiverse. So it's uh, very good. So you get out of a mental hospital. <clears throat> you're trying to work on your marriage. Your church won't counsel with you anymore. <laughs> And you're trying to find more help. Um, you find this destructive marriage book. Tell tell me what happened next. Oh, it was awesome. Uh, Leslie describes there's in the appendix, she has a description of what abuse looks like. And this is the appendix of her emotionally destructive marriage book. Okay. Yes. Yep. And she had uh, some scripts, some ideas for opening conversations. And I tried them all. And... The result was that I gained clarity and understood better what was going on and finally had to make the heartbreaking decision that uh, after, at that point, it was 24 years of marriage, we couldn't, we couldn't continue. You didn't just come to that decision by reading the book, though. You kind of got quite a, what's the word? Um, you were Kick in the pants? Yeah. <laughs> You got a kick in the pants from your kid. Tell me about that. Ah, uh, yes. Um, after I had the first daughter go through a, a terrible mental health crisis and she was recovering and she'll probably always be um, working on that. And uh, the, her younger sister started self-harming. I got her into therapy and during the therapy sessions, it became clear that she was struggling mentally as well. Throughout that, the, my, the older daughter who had had anorexia confronted me and she actually, these words just ring in my head. She said, you didn't do anything when I was suicidal and about to die. And now your second child is suicidal. So when will you do anything? And just broke my heart. The next week, I finally finished gathering all my stuff together and, and moved us out of the house. I was trying to arrange so that he would move out and trying to uh, work things out amicably. And it was like, yeah, no, we, we had to leave. And it was an escape. It was, it was an awful journey. And your daughters recognized that he was destructive maybe more than you did, correct? Yeah, absolutely. They got really excellent mental health treatment, uh, including recognizing what gaslighting is, uh, recognizing control and uh, help with 
setting boundaries that, I mean, I never, I didn't know anything about. <laughs> and uh, eventually I did. I learned through Conquer. How did you find Conquer? After I had read the uh, Emotionally Destructive Marriage book, I started looking at Leslie's website and uh, enrolled in um, Walking in Core Strength. That was so helpful. And, I would, and Walking in Core Strength is a small group coaching program that she offers. Yeah, it was wonderful. It was uh, probably two or three sessions with Leslie in a small group environment, answering the questions that I had that I couldn't solve. Through that, I learned about Conquer, joined up with Conquer, and just started learning as much as I could. I think I was in Conquer about a year and a half before uh, that episode with my daughter happened and I had to take concrete steps to solve the problem. Describe a little bit of your journey in Conquer. What were some of the big aha moments? I probably had been in Conquer maybe about uh, six months and I got on a phone call and finally was able to talk to her. And uh, she was describing what to do when you're at a crossroads and you don't know which answer is the right answer. You're trying to make a decision, you don't have all the information and you're just, you're trying to figure it out. And her solution was that while you're sitting there at the crossroads and you can't make up your mind what to do, you're not getting any new information. If you would just turn right or pick a direction, do your best to pick a direction and move down the road a ways, then you get more information and you can find out whether like maybe that direction was the wrong way and you need to turn around and go back, but at least you're getting somewhere. Oh, and that's good. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I realized that even now that I'm out of the situation, I'm still using that because I was painting my shed the other day and um, I don't know how to paint a shed, but I figured it out and I did what I could to, to figure out how to do it. And I did it and it won't be perfect, but it'll still get done. And I'll learn much more about painting by the time I'm done. So that, that's the kind of advice that will help me grow to be a better person in any situation that I'm in. That is so good. I love that. I think that's something that we can all remember and think about. Describe a couple of the other aha moments that you experienced. Leslie spent uh, a lot of time describing how to ask questions and in a way that is non-confrontational. For example, I would uh, tell my husband that, hey, when you drive uh, recklessly or I wouldn't use the word reckless. <laughs> um, but when you drive that way on the freeway, it scares me. And his answer, because he had gotten a little bit of counseling, was I'm not responsible for your feelings. And that stumped me because he's right. He's not responsible for my feelings. But Leslie suggested that I ask, does it matter to you that I am scared? Yes. And what an excellent question, because it gives you a lot of information about their heart, how they feel about you and about the relationship. And as it turned out, the answer was a disappointing one, but it was information that I needed. And that answer or lack of answer. 
is yeah clarity. he didn't care yeah but that but that's clarity for you that's information yeah. isn't it exactly yeah even bad information or disappointing information is still helpful and helps well, it's like ahead. when you go to a doctor and you get you don't get the information that you want but you have a diagnosis you have clarity you know what the problem is and now you've got to do maybe what you didn't want to do but you've got to deal with the problem yep that's good um so maybe just asking well why are you such a jerk that's something that should <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good question i guess huh Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's ways of asking questions that uh, elicit an immediate defensive position. And there's ways that can open up relationship if the relationship is there to open up. And if he wants it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you did kind of learn, though, because you took responsibility for your husband's feelings, didn't you? Yeah, I, I was constantly trying to appease him. And I an autistic person or a person with autism spectrum disorder can tend to get a very focused view of things. They're so busy looking at the one detail that is wrong or, or out of place is a better word for it, that they don't notice the hurricane that's going on around them. And they get so upset about the one thing that it can distract people from the, the big picture issues. And my husband would do that and I would try to fix that one little thing and put all my energy towards fixing whatever the problem was while my kids were having mental health issues and breaking down and, and all that stuff. And I finally learned to step back and let him have his disappointments, let him have his anxiety that something is out of place. It helped me to be able to set priorities and decide for myself what I needed to do to help my children. Was that hard for you? Did you feel like, oh, I'm not being a good wife? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It felt like I was disappointing God. And it was a horrific time of just uh, it, relearning everything I knew about who God was. There was a long time where... I, I would read, there was a passage in the Bible that talks about uh, God's discipline and he disciplines those he loves, right? I always, in my mind, interpreted that passage as I am leaving the marriage, God is disciplining me. That's why I'm having such a struggle. And it, really? took, a long, yeah, it took a long time to get to the point of realizing that no, that's not why I'm having, I'm having this huge struggle because I live in a fallen world, right? And God isn't disciplining me. He loves me. I'm his child. I'm his daughter. And yeah, it took a long time to get through reinterpreting all those passages. It was pretty awful. So you were pretty critical of yourself. Did that change? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, my whole mindset has changed from uh, this shame-based uh, Christianity, trying to tick all the boxes. One of my most angry moments at God was, I've done everything right. I homeschooled my children. I 
didn't go to work. I was a stay-at-home mom. Um, I taught them all the things they needed. And this is what you gave me, God. Why did you uh, do this to me? And I've learned a lot that we don't have to do all that stuff. God loves us even though, right? He, he loves us anyway. And uh, all that stuff that I was on the treadmill trying to do and be the perfect wife, be the perfect mom, uh, solve all my children's problems, solve all my husband's problems. I didn't need to do any of that. I, I can rest in him. And it's very, it's a, a, a much better place to be and but kind of disorienting i i'm still working out the who is this god that i believe in that god hasn't changed but my understanding of him has completely changed and i think for the better that's so good carrie and i think that's such a good thing i mean one of the things mm -hmm. i love about the psalms is how you know, he's struggling so much with God and he's so real and he's, he's wrestling with God. So the fact that you're able to admit that and say, you know, I don't have this all figured out yet, I think is a really positive, good thing because who really does? You mentioned earlier that you had taken walking in core strength. Another one of Leslie's group is called empowered to change. And you took that one as well. How was that experience for you? That was amazing. Um, I did uh, Empowered to Change after I was separated, while I was going through some pretty serious, uh, um, my ex accused me of parental alienation. and uh, We were having a, a huge custody battle. And so there was some pretty serious things Very going different. on. Yeah. And one of the things that Leslie told me about Ben was I was so upset that my husband could dump me the way he did. It was like a sudden, he didn't want me. He didn't want anything to do with me and I could do no right. He was just writing these letters to the court saying all these horrible things about that uh, I was a terrible teacher. I was abusing the children. I was, and it was all this horrible stuff. And I said to Leslie, how, how can you go on after somebody that you loved and, and that you plan to spend the rest of your life with just dumps you like that? Like, I felt like garbage. I felt like my whole motherhood had been just junked, right? And Leslie reminded me, she used the example of a baby when a teen mom, uh, every now and then you hear about that she gives birth and dumps the baby in the garbage and the baby dies. And that doesn't say anything about the value of the baby. The baby is precious. And what it says is that the mother had some serious issues and she needs help. And, and it's it says a lot about the mother's state of mind, but it doesn't say anything about that the baby isn't precious. It's also and, talked a similar about if somebody takes a diamond and throws, throws it, it away. Crash, does that make the diamond less valuable? Exactly. Yeah. And that it took a while. Um, Empowered to Change is a six-month program. So you meet 
I think it was once a month we had meetings and then there were videos and uh, worksheets and stuff to do between the meetings. But that was so helpful for me to develop that sense of understanding that even though I was thrown away like trash, I was still valuable and I could still, I still had lots to offer and lots to do in the community. It was during that time that I decided to go back and get my master's. Leslie talks about uh, that big, hairy, audacious goal. So my big, hairy, audacious goal was to go get, get my master's and go back into engineering. I hadn't done engineering in over 20 years. That's incredible. Yeah. So it was, and through that, I, I moved back to Canada how the results of the uh, the final custody battle ended up was I moved back to Canada with my young son and we uh, the other ones, the other children had all uh, grown out of the system by then. My son only gets supervised visitation on certain times of the year and supervised phone calls once a week. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it ended up turning out... Um, very well, but it was two years of just awful accusations flying all over the place. And it was really a dreadful time that Empowered to Change was instrumental in helping me through that. Wow. I hope that's encouraging to people who are maybe in the middle of a custody battle like that. What would you say, Carrie, if you could offer one piece of advice to a woman who's listening Maybe they're married to an overly controlling person. Maybe their husband has autism spectrum disorder. Good grief. Maybe their child is going through mental health struggles. Could you just speak to that woman who is listening and offer your advice? Oh, I hope, first of all, I hope no one ever has to go through what I had to go through. And if you are going through that, you deserve all the compassion and all the care in the world and you can do it you won't have a prince charming come to save you i was looking for prince charming the whole time but you can make that decision and you can learn about how to what's happening to you and you can take steps towards safety and health the other thing is that the the whole time that I was going through this uh, awful trauma, I would try to defend myself. And the bottom line is you're not going to convince anybody that your decision of how to deal with it is best. So you don't have to convince anybody of why you're doing what you're doing. You know what's right. You know your situation best. And you know how you are going to deal with it. Because people are going to judge your decision, especially to leave and you're in a church and your husband looks like the good guy. You're, you're going to get judged. There might be whispers behind your back. So you're saying focus on what? Focus on the truth, focus on what you know. And this is one of the, uh, my daughter who gave me the kick in the pants, also told me that sometimes when you're in a a structure like that, where people are trapped by well-meaning belief systems, 
the important thing is to get out. Mm-hmm. And you can be the best help for the people who are left behind by truly escaping and getting out and be a leader for that, for health. Carrie, thank you. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? From my point of view, I can see where God was in all of my mess and my mucky situations. And I know at the time it was never helpful for me to think that, oh yes, God's got a plan for me. So it's okay to be where you are and to be in the mess and do what you can to to get the next right step. I'm just going to pray for those who are listening. God, I thank you so much for Carrie and her willingness to share her story. And I pray that it brings encouragement to the women that are listening, God, whether they're driving, taking a walk, doing dishes, whatever it might be. I pray that right now your presence would be there, that your peace would be strong, that you would give them hope. I pray that you have spoken something to them that they can take away and begin to apply to their lives this very day. Guard their hearts, guard the hearts of their children and these families, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Relationship Truth Unfiltered. If you need clarity on whether your marriage is difficult, disappointing, or destructive, go to leslievernick.com forward slash start for Leslie's free quick start guide. It's totally private and will help you get clear on your next step. Again, that's leslievernick.com forward slash start. Until next time, may God bless your relationships with him, with yourself, and with others.